And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson, and my guest today is Edgar Blazona with Benchmade Modern. Excited to talk to uh, him today about his furniture business and how he is competing against uh, all sorts of giant companies in the industry. Um, you know, we all we all want to take on the monsters, and he's doing it. So we're, we're going to talk to him more today about succeeding in um, in that situation. Um, before we get started, remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva, where you can go to collaborate and create amazing graphic design for free. Whether it's a presentation to share an idea, a video to launch your business, or a social post to start a conversation, with Canva, you can design anything. Discover the magic of visual communication and how Canva helps you create a lasting impact today. Visit canva.com to learn more. Edgar, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. So, you know, I guess first of all, I should tell you, one of the first jobs I ever had was selling furniture. So wow. okay. I don't know why I'm weirdly, I'm weirdly excited about this conversation. <laughs> so, um, I guess tell us about yourself and your background. How'd you get in the furniture business? Like, yeah, yeah. I started out, uh, I, I actually left high school, started a furniture company. It wasn't necessarily like that was going to be my direction for life. Uh, I, I basically just, just didn't have, you know, I, I didn't have furniture for a little apartment I had and I started making things and, um, that, that kind of turned into a business. I would, I would straight up sell furniture on the sidewalk. You know, I'd be out in front of the bar at night. I'd have these coffee tables, console sides just set up. And, uh, and I would just be slinging, you know, slinging furniture. And, and that became a career. Uh, and later on, I, you know, I had a cabinet shop and then went to work for Pottery Barn and kind of that was my college, so to speak. And, uh, and then since, you know, have gone and started a couple brands and now Benchmade Modern. Yeah, and f furniture is um, it's an interesting market, right? Because you have a lot of different segments to it, right? Like you've got IKEA, obviously, like it's its own kind of segment, and then you've got you know furniture that is really purely art, and you yeah. got everything in between, right? So, you know, when you you know, so when you go to start a business, kind of in the furniture business, kind of like what was your kind of target market there? Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit embarrassed to say because it's, you know, frankly a shitty market. Um I I I I went after modernism and modernism is true to myself, right? Okay. And that's why that's when I say it's, you know, shitty is because it's it's such a small <laughs> portion. And when I started, you know, in the 90s, it was, you know, like 1 2% of America liked like modernism. So, it wasn't a very good business model. Uh, since, you know, modernism has kind of picked up and, and taken over and, and, you know, I've had all kinds of different, you know, avenues within the furniture world, whether it's, you know, the high end, uh, for a long time, I made custom furniture. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I worked for some of the big box retailers, you know, Walmart and Target and those guys. So I've been all over, mm -hmm. um, the, the world, you know, trying to figure out what my furniture take is. 
but I always knew that I would get back to modernism at the end. And, and thankfully, luckily, you know, it's modernism has kind of become quite a thing now. And, and now I'm, you know, sort of a leader in it, which is, which is pretty cool and, so, and uh, surprising. When you say modernism, would you also just describe that as contemporary? Yeah, I mean, there's so little nuances of modernism, and I don't like to be that douchey designer that, you know, pinpoints exactly what people are trying to say. Um, I think that um, in general, you know, like Apple Store, you know, Apple did such a great job of actually bringing modernism to the Mm -hmm. world, right? And then you've got all these hotels, and and so things started to kind of change around that. So, So going back to your question, contemporary versus modernism, yeah, I mean, it's all sort of in that modern vein, uh, but there are slight nuances between the two. Well, and is is one of the biggest segments of of furniture and design now, would you say, is transitional? Is that kind yes, of the... Yes, And And yeah. so what, what, a lot of what you do, is it kind of transitional as well? You know, we span, we try to span the whole kind of spectrum. Um, yes, transitional... Uh, I would say, you know, again, if I don't want to get too into the nuances, yeah, sure. We have, you know, uh, transitional, you know, from from classic all the way into modernist, right? But but I would say that we try to put a modern spin on on pretty much everything that we have. And, it, you know, maybe a more updated look would be, you know, more of a, a general description of our of our goods. So your your business that you have today um, bench made modern. Is it, it's located in California? Where, where yeah, are you so guys located at? Yeah, we're split right these days. So, um, we were acquired not too long ago by a huge manufacturer, uh, in Dallas. And so my office is in California, but I actually have people all over the world. So it's really difficult when people ask that question, you know, what is our, um, you know, where's our location? Uh, I sit in California. I've got multiple team members that sit in California. Uh, several sit in uh, Dallas and then a whole spectrum of people throughout the world working on various, you know, projects for us. So it's really kind of difficult to say exactly where we're from, okay. but, but I, I'm from California. So you're, but, um, so who are you guys acquired by? Uh, American Leather. Okay. So I actually have two pieces from American Leather, I believe. Yeah, that that I bought. I have a, a couch and a, a couple chairs um, from I, American Leather. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so, um, and I bought them because they were more traditional, modern style. But um, so how so how did the acquisition come about? So what 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 led them to want to acquire you guys? Well, we are a direct to consumer furniture business, right? And and there's you know we 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 are considered a disruptor in the space. Uh, and I think there's a there's a lot of these older companies that have been around for a long time and that have needed to get, you know, uh, in a position where they're actually, you know, directly interacting with the customer. You know, um, American Leather at the time probably didn't, you know, know who you were or what you did or anything about you, probably because you bought it through a retailer that they sold through. Yep. Um, so you work directly with that retailer, but you know, American leather in general is just giving, you know, providing the sofa. So we actually, you know, are in touch with that customer, you know, every day us directly, um, you know, directly from our factories into, into their homes. And I think in general, the, the direction of these new disruptors, these cool companies are direct to consumers. And, you know, we, we call them direct to consumers 
basically we are um, a online first type brand, um, you know, an online native uh, type brand. And, and so they needed to have that in their portfolio of, of companies. And, and so we were acquired. So do you think people in uh, like Casper and the mattress part of this kind of led the way with this direct consumer market, would you say? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I actually use them as part of my example. You know, when I started, I raised a bunch of capital. I'm, I'm, I live in the Bay Area, um, just outside of San Francisco. I grew up here. And there's all this uh, investor, VC, you know, startup capital happening. And, and I, it, it was very hard to raise money for a direct-to-consumer business. The Caspers of the world, um, I would also say Dollar Shave Club, you know, that's mm-hmm. another one. Those particular groups, you know, started to to create an eye. Bonobos, another another great one uh, for 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 clothing. You know, those guys kind of brought a little bit of spotlight to the investment world, and they thought, okay, well, we can we can uh, invest in these companies. There's actually you know a path to growth, and so I think Casper hugely uh, helped me in raising capital for sure. So, how do you go about? creating a a furniture business that is primarily online and you know the consumer adoption of that getting people to know that you exist and for me it seems like i can understand like buying a mattress online you're like i'm not really sure if this thing is comfortable or not people say it's comfortable so i'm going to take a chance but they're like i need a sofa and i don't know what color it is and like it's like to me like that just seems so much more complicated right so how 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 was that journey yeah, not to put you on the spot and all, but I want you to back up and hear what you just said, right? Yeah. I mean, you just said, I'm going to, I can totally understand how I could buy a mattress yeah. online, something that you spend every day on, right? Yeah. So, so, so here's what just happened. I mean, let's just take a step back and, and reflect on that, right? Casper worked on you, right? They, they put this energy on uh, into, yeah. into you and they basically gave you tools and and through enough press and you know through enough podcast advertisements yeah. and all that and made it okay right and so that's what you're seeing in the sofa business as well right mm-hmm. a lot of my job is actually and it's actually frankly converting you right yeah. i mean you're the exact customer right i can't imagine you know buying a sofa without sitting in it first However, you just said the opposite for the mattress business, right? It's, it's perfect. And so, you know, part of what we do is, is, is kind of train. We talk about this funnel, right? This is kind of marketing voodoo, right? Of, of how do we get the customer in the funnel, bring them down the funnel and all that. There's all these nuances that I'm doing to signal to you that it's okay for you to buy a sofa online. You know, you come to our site you know, 100-day tryout, right? You can mm-hmm. try it out. I mean, that's, that's – we have so little return on that. It's hardly anything, right? But it signals to you like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, these guys stand behind it. We send out this giant box of swatches. And, and I always – I tell everyone to get the swatch box. We, are, we, we send it to you second-day air. The reason why I do that is because I want to be the first one in the door. But, but really, I'm signaling to you like – we're badass. Like we're the mm-hmm. guys, like when you get all these envelopes of, you know, little swatch cuttings and little, you know, stickers and so on, like you'll, you'll remember our giant box. And that's how I signal quality to you. And that's how I, I, you know, in, in a way kind of convince you 
you know, through a little judo that, you know, buying a sofa can happen online and, and that it's okay. And I've got several more tricks within that funnel that kind of do and signal the same thing. I mean, I would imagine that the key above all with this is, is like you said, speed is important, but quality, right? Like you've got to have a really, really, really good product and experience all the way because it's all about trust. Like you got to get people to trust that they're buying this thing online and when they get it, it's going to be super high quality and they're going to be happy with it. And then you've got to get the referrals and the reviews and all that, that continue to tell that story. Right. Because otherwise if like 80% of the people that get it, they're like, ah, I could have bought the same piece of shit at Ikea. Like it's going to, it makes it really difficult, right? Like you've got to have a super high quality product. I would imagine this is the key. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, I you know, I think there's one thing that people forget, right? Okay, at, at our price point, we have to have good quality. I talk a lot about what's under the hood, and I won't bore you with all that, but I try to basically create, put the best materials underneath the cover. Because online, you know, you look at a $1,000 sofa and you look at a $5,000 sofa, you know, design-wise, they're not that far off, but it's those materials that actually go in it. But I think there's one thing that people miss, uh, and especially in the sofa business, and, and, and it's what I call you know, turning the, the problem, right? turning that one scenario that something went wrong and converting that customer to a brand advocate, right? Like, what do we do after we've taken your credit card? That's a big thing because not always, you know, it's not like stuff goes wrong all the time. It doesn't. But but there are things that happen along the way. And what I'm looking to do is, you know, take that bad situation and make it okay for you. And then you're going to tell your neighbor, you know what, like this thing came, it fell off the truck, you know, they replaced it, no problem. You know, it was quick, it was easy, all that. I think that that is, is as important as the quality of the furniture. Yeah, I, I, I think the other part of this, like, so my wife is the, is the person that, She's all about the fabric. Yeah. Like she's like crazy about how does the fabric feel? Like uh yeah. I I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of remodeling and doing a lot of furniture shopping these days and uh um I had an interior decorator at my house this morning talking about buying a couch and uh no, yeah. you so, didn't. really? That's I awesome. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, so it's uh but my wife is like crazy about the fabrics and stuff. So getting those those swatches and and all that would be super important. And actually, true story. Um, yesterday, I was um, buying some bar stools, so we need some bar stools, and was looking at um, a website from uh, what's it called, Mitchell Gold and Bob yep. Williams. I'm sure you know they are. And I found some awesome bar stools on their website, and I ordered some swatches. Ten minutes later, somebody called me and said, "Oh, I live." 20 minutes from you i have your swatches can i can i bring them by literally an hour later they're at my house with the swatches so they they destroyed your two-day shipping yeah yeah (laughs) however that's great it was crazy that they showed up an hour later when you call them back ask them what their lead time is on those stools and we'll see who destroys who 16 weeks yeah well we're at five weeks and and honestly That's what, five, five weeks on a fully custom product, right? So, so all of our sofas are made, you know, within five inch increments, you know, so expand, you make it bigger, smaller, all That's that. Awesome. 
and then up to you know about 100 115 different materials fabrics and leathers and so on but we're doing that in five weeks and and i'll tell you you know we that's like that is so long for us you know pre-covid we were at 10 days and that is our goal so we're we're going through this backlog right now. We're trying to get, you know, through that, um, get kind of past these COVID era times and, and so on. And, and uh, we'll get back to that 10 days. You know, when I started the company, you know, we were at, we had, we, we, this is my startup era, right? We were at, we would make you a custom made sofa by the inch within 24 hours. Wow. Uh, you could, you could pay a couple <laughs> extra hundred dollars and get a sofa made in 24 hours. Now, here's a funny thing, right? Turns out that people don't like something made that quick because how could, you know, this Benchmade Modern Company makes it in 24 hours, yet if I bought the same, you know, $5,000 sofa at Restoration Hardware, it would take, I don't know, 16 weeks or whatever. So it must not be good. Now, that's not the case, but it must not be good. And so so we've had to (laughs) kind of, you know, play with that throttle back. It also turns out that people don't like that it to be made quicker than it can be shipped. That's another interesting point. There, there's and an so, interesting perception of, of quality and value there, right? And and honestly, that was a hard, I want to say a hard lesson, but it was a lesson that I learned as a software developer like 15 years ago. Like I get on the phone with a customer, I'm like, oh yeah, we can fix that. That's no big deal. I'll have it done in a couple of days. And like, and like our, my boss is like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we got to build value here. Totally. We got to make them sound like this is hard and they got to pay a lot of money for it. Even if it just takes you two hours to fix that shit, you don't tell them that. Yeah, 100%. And it, it was the same, not, not the same thing, but sort of the same thing. I was like, you got to build some value here and make it look right. like we got to do some work so we can charge some money, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it doesn't take that long to make a sofa. That's kind of the 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 part of part of our disrupting, right? Is like, how do we, how do we take a product that is supposed to be made in, you know, 16 weeks, which is really made in eight hours, right? So, so what happened there? Like, where did, where did, you know, where did everyone go wrong? And a lot of it has to do with your ordering process, you know, how long it takes you to, to get the materials, you know, the transparency of all that, right? Like those bar stools, you know, did anyone tell you that that red fabric within that swatch kit that you just got yesterday that is no longer in stock or not available for 60 weeks or, you know, all this crazy stuff that happens that, that somehow within this upholstery world, furniture business, it just became okay to like, well, we'll just call them and tell them it's going to be 60 weeks. You know, it's, it's ridiculous like that. And, and so that was one of the things that we set out to be different with is let's just be transparent. Let's, let's not have fabrics that take 60 weeks to get. And if, and if, if one of our suppliers is going to do that, then drop the fabric. There's no reason for us to offer that. Um, and you know, I, I feel like that's, that's a big part of where the furniture industry has gone wrong. Right. I mean, how many times, look, you, you, you probably got a nice house, right? What, like, how many times have you waited for a piece of furniture for what seems like forever, you know? And, and I'm the dude who comes over to dinner at your house. And the first thing you say to me is, so I hear you're in the furniture business. You know, I bought this piece of furniture. It took 60 weeks to get it. And it, frankly, it sucks, you know? Like, I get that shit all the time. Like, that's yeah. a common thing that happens to me. And, and, you know, I, I, I set out to kind of fix that and, and, 
frankly, just frankly for myself, you know, the response for me is, well, you didn't buy it for me then, you know? So I, I have a lot more questions about this. I want to, I want to uh, ask you a few more questions about that because it pisses me off, frankly. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva. With Canva, you can design your ideas with ease, get inspired with over 500,000 free templates and a rich content library that helps you and your team achieve your goals. Sign up and start designing for free at canva.com. So why does it take 16 weeks? Is it is it just a, is it like the whole just in time inventory thing where they just don't have the materials or is it a shortage of labor these days? Like like so right now it seems like a lot of places are like 12 to 16 weeks. Did it used to be four to six before COVID and everything is just backlogged or is that kind of normal for the industry? Yeah, great, great question. And and I, and I, you know, while I basically I'm selling out my industry by, by telling the truth, right. The, the, the real reason is, is the line is long, right. That's, I mean, the bottom line, I mean, there's some outliers there, maybe, you know, that example of 60 week fabric, right. It, that product fabric company or that production, you know, was something happened or, you know, they're so backlogged or whatever. But the majority of that is based on um, a backlog of people and then also the material orderings. You touched on it, just-in-time manufacturing. I mean, I I actually, you know, I don't really believe in just-in-time manufacturing in that model if you don't have the components. Like, just-in-time manufacturing works if every one of your suppliers is also just-in-time, right? But if you if you're claiming to be just in time and you don't have a leg, right, or don't have the fabric, then it's really hard. So, you know, the truth is, is that it takes us, you know, eight hours to push, you know, even quicker, really, to push a sofa down the line and, you know, uh, to get it out the door. Um, but the line is so long and and COVID, COVID in the furniture world, COVID kind of changed things. Um, one was a huge problem with foam for a while. This mm-hmm. back things up. There's two foam suppliers. The the material, the actual raw material that goes into the foam. Uh, one had a freeze in that whole uh, uh, Texas freeze time, uh, and the other one was offline for EPA, you know, changes and cleaning and all that. And so that that set everyone back. And then COVID happened, and you know, it's not easy to find upholsters, right? You know, these old world. This is an old world technique, and and uh, you know, it's hard to train you know, young and, and aspiring furniture makers in the upholstery world because it takes time. You mentioned the foam. I, I ordered uh, brand new refrigerators last September. And if I'm lucky, I will get them this September a year later. And it was all because of insulation had to do with that foam, the same stuff you just mentioned. Yeah. Can't get refrigerators because of foam. It's yeah. Crazy. We all went on foam allocation. Uh, and, you know, surprisingly, um, we were, you know, it was down to 60%. It wasn't just me. It's across everybody. You know, the people that make Mitchell's, you know, stools and the, the guy yeah. who does this and that we all went on this. And so it was really hard. A lot of it had to do with your previous relationships. And, you know, even in, in we have a small facility in, in LA, uh, where we manufactured there. And, you know, we were, we were buying foam out the back door and, and uh, you know, taking care of the guys with bottles of tequila, you know, making sure that we were getting our foam. So, so do you do all your manufacturing in the LA area or? No, we do some in, in both Dallas and in LA. Okay. So you mentioned earlier, like the skills and, and stuff required to do this kind of work. Is it, is it almost 
assembly line style or does like the same person like make a whole couch? I'm just kind of curious. Well, there's multiple ways, right? So our name, Benchmade Modern, right? That comes from Benchmade is a type of furniture made on the on the uh, upholstery, in our case, the upholsterer's bench, right? If it were a cabinet, there's Benchmade cabinetry, there's Benchmade, you know, uh, any sort of furniture. And, and that means they make it through and through, right? It's from the frame the, all the way across. In our case, we do like a, a hybrid version of that. That's where the modern comes in from our name, Benchmade Modern. So, so you know, fabrics are cut on CNC-style machines. Frame materials are cut on CNC-style machines. We actually have a frame maker, right? And then we have a, you know, a team of sewers, mm-hmm. right? And then, and, and finally, that package, the frame and the sewing package is handed off to the upholsterer to be made on the upholsterer's bench. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's how we do it, um, and that's how we can tailor everything. A lot of the difference between a, a fine quality upholstered good is really the tailoring. And when I say tailoring, it's in the sewing, it's in the you know how good is the cutting, so that when we marry the frame to the to the sewing piece, you know, that it all comes together perfectly. And then that, that last part, which is, which is so valuable is the upholsterer, right? He's mm-hmm. stretching and pulling the fabric, you know, to kind of make that really good, beautiful piece. If it was just a quick line thing, they just pulled over and stapled the bottom and they're out of there. It's a lot. It's like the fit and finish and leather stitching and all that in a Ferrari seat. It's just totally. Diff- it's just a little different, man. The way they do it, I don't know how they do it. It's magic, and it's a lot of pulling. I love quality. Yeah, love quality a lot of pulling there. and and reading the materials, and 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 that that's all the difference in the world. So you, you talked about trying to build the furniture and inventory and speed and all that. So isn't your worst enemy offering all these different fabric choices? Wouldn't that isn't that your worst <laughs> enemy? Uh, my worst enemy is shipping. Uh, fabric is not my worst industry enemy, you know, uh, um, just having a warehouse, a hundred fabrics or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have a lot of money invested in our fabrics, right. And, and, you know, that's part of, you know, what we do is we manage that, that fabric inventory and how, how do we manage it? You know, that, that sort of thing. And, and it's really hard. I, you know, I, I would love to actually, one of our projects is to actually tie, you know, the fabric inventory directly to the website, right? So that, so that, you know, even if I had, let's say three red sofas ordered that day, by the time that you got on to order your red sofa, I don't have any more fabric stock of red. So it wouldn't even show you red, right? And so there's, there's things like that, that I, that, you know, that's coming in our, in our process that I would love to, you know, fine tune a little better. Um, But, but I think a lot of it has to do with, how do we inventory it? How do we control it? And and can we invest enough in that inventory? And and uh, that's what we do. Well, I, I mean, I'm also the kind of person that feels like the more choices you have, too, it just makes it harder for clients to order. You're like, okay, you got 50 grays. How the hell do I pick one? I don't freaking know. Yeah, just, yeah. If it, you had two, I could narrow it down, but I, I can't do it. You got 50. It, it, that's, <laughs> like, that's funny. That's funny you say that, right? Because we have, we have you, and then we have the customer who's like, yeah this gray isn't cool enough. There's not yeah. enough blue in it. You know, yep. don't you have this one and just a little bit darker, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it just, it never ends. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of, you know, you could call in, call into to our, to our people at the front line and, and they'll talk to you. They'll kind of walk you through that. And they might just say to you, Hey, look, just pick a gray. Like, 
you know, stop the madness. One thing we, we, we always say is, you know, paint the room later, right? Because while we offer 100 colors, I probably only have 10 grays. I mean, gray is the most popular color that we have, right? And, and so maybe I have 10 grays, you know, something like that. But, but there's a bazillion gray colors to paint your wall. You know, so start with the, the upholstered goods first, then paint the wall to go with it. I know all about the grays. I painted my bathroom gray. And then <laughs> based on the sunlight in the morning and the type of light bulbs, the gray looked pink. Yes. So then I, sh- I painted a different shade of gray. It really didn't look that much different. And then depending on the light and everything, it would look a little purple. Yes. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, gray is crazy. <laughs> I live next to an to a, a like a neon yellow house. It was my first house ever back. It was like in the ghetto days, right? And this neon house, yellow house, would basically shine through our windows and change the entire (laughs) color of everything. So we had to paint our room. But then at night, the color was like kind of weird and wrong. But I had no choice. I had to basically paint for the day. So you you mentioned shipping earlier. I imagine... You know, this isn't like a we 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 joked earlier about Casper mattresses that I don't know how there was like some major invention there to figure out how to get those damn things in a box and the way that they wrap those things so tightly is mind blowing. Good luck trying to return one of them. But yeah, how do you do that with a sofa? How do you ship one of these things, man? Yeah, well, you brought up two two interesting points, right? How do how do you return it after it's out of the packaging? Another another challenge, right? And 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 you know for us um you know we ship nine foot goods right it's a big giant thing so you know we make our own crates our our own pallets i should say we we uh we ship it through the trucking line it's it's not cheap you know people talk about free shipping you know like i'm eating that and it's a lot it's not it's not a you know it's cheap on a pair of shoes it's it's very very expensive you know shipping frankly to your home uh you know a, a sectional sofa is is you know it's a thousand dollars for me it's a it's a wow. big it's a big cost and, and you uh, you have free shipping it's just included we do. in the we have price free or? curbside shipping yep and then you know we have white glove delivery as well it's a, a little bit of an added added charge but you know it's definitely not uh cheap uh to to ship and then you know why i said it was you know my the bane of my existence is is you know guys don't like to carry a 300 pound thing or move a 200 pound thing right it it's it's hard and so they you know they wait a second that's the only reason my wife keeps me around (laughs) hold on that's like my job security (laughs) <laughs> to move things <laughs> that sucks yes. i'm sorry <laughs> maybe it feels like it some days <laughs> yeah i actually you know i used to do my own deliveries and uh, in the bay area back when i very first started and i was like okay you know what to save a little money i'm gonna do all my own local deliveries right i'd you know, go pick it up at the cross dock and I'd put it on my pickup truck. You know, I'd show up in my Benchmade Modern shirt. I'd, I'd get into these people's homes. It taught me a lot, man. It taught me like how hard it is to, to get a piece like that in the door. It, it, you know, it changed our model from a 10 foot sofa to a nine foot sofas. That's kind of being the max, like 10 foot is just too big. It's just, you can't get it into a lot of people's homes. And, and so it, it really like it, it changed my world. It also taught me, you know, to be nicer to the delivery guy, right? When the when the delivery guy reaches out to you to shake your hand and 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 you give him the you know bad look, like I'm not shaking your hand, and then that delivery guy says, "Well, I'm the designer of that sofa and the owner." 
you would be surprised at the shocking look that these customers would give yeah. me, you know? And I would walk away, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's one for the delivery guys, right? Maybe that guy won't be such a jerk next time. So let's, so let's talk more about, you know, your business model and, and the competition you have, you know? So, you know, when you, when you start this business, you're like, oh, we're just going to sell furniture online. Like what, what are the thoughts there around like your go-to-market strategy and how do customers know that you exist and, and all that kind of, all that part of it? What, what, what did you guys have to do to? Yeah, well, that's, um, you know, it's really crowded out here, right? And COVID didn't help. Right. A lot of people were at home and and a lot of people thought, OK, I'm going to start this these businesses. Luckily, we started, you know, well before that. And, and you know, our SEO traffic was was already, you know, doing really well. And we already had a name and we already had reviews and all that. I think in the beginning, when we when we very first started, um, you know, it was about press. And so I spent a lot of my time you know, focused on how to get good press, you know, good quality press. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that I'm married to a PR person, right? So, so I had a little bit of a, of a leg up, um, but I've, I've understood press all along. And, it, you know, one of the things that we did was I was building a sofa vending machine, basically. And you could, if you go online, you can do a Google search for Benchmade Modern Robot. And it was this, it was this iPad controlled giant robot that you could swipe through and pick your sofa and, and you could go up and it would go up in the air, grab the sofa off a wall and bring like a love seat down to your feet. And if you want to see another one, it would go put it away and bring another one back. It was a, like a giant pegboard system of sofas. And you know, I did that for two things. I was building these small little hybrid stores, but but part of that was how do I get press, right? No one wants to write about a sofa. So what if you make a better sofa than the next guy, right? That's just not something that that is very press worthy. So I think finding ways to, you know, not be cheesy about press, right? This is not the that floaty guy out in the front of your store, like here, now, now, sale. You know, that's not press worthy. Uh, but how do you find a way to 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 get press in a in a very crowded world? Um, and my thing has always been guerrilla marketing. You know, I grew up as a graffiti artist, and I've always loved those sort of different avenues of marketing, and uh, that really helped us. And you know, frankly, the the we we had a front page section in in the New York Times, and I accredit a lot of uh, the sale of the company. Uh, to the New York Times article uh, because it kind of put us on the map, you know, and, and um, I know that, that, you know, the company that acquired us, American Leather, uh, you know, did that. One of the reasons because they read about me in the New York Times. Wow. Well, so it has, how long ago was the acquisition? Uh, three years ago. Okay. So has the business like 10 times bigger than it was before yes. or? Yeah, yeah, so yeah dramatically different so yeah dramatically different a lot of that has to do with you know um we were in a position three years ago that we didn't have enough manufacturing to be able to accommodate great press or even a big marketing spend right and so and so now we we have a you know the, one of the biggest factories in the country you know behind us and so we can match whatever sort of you know, uh, increase in, in, in sales, we can match that from the manufacturing side. You know, everybody talks about they want to have that problem where they have more business than they know what to do with. And I, I lived through that on the software side, you know, like 15 years ago. 
you know, we, we were signing up so many customers that there was a backlog to install. And then next thing you know, our salespeople just take phone calls all day from customers yeah. that are pissed off because they haven't been installed yet. And it's the same thing for you, right? It's like you have a Black Friday sale, like some big event and you sell oh, a lot yeah. of stuff or you get a lot of press and you sell a lot of stuff. You're like, shit, we got Johnny out there and he can make three couches a week and that's yeah. it. What are we going to do? And you're like, I don't know. We just sold 500 of them. Yeah. Now I, what do we do? Like it's a whole crazy problem, right? I have firsthand experience in that. I, I did a show back in the 90s, one of my first companies, and I got this big order. And I mean, now that would be just such a small order. But at the time, it was like this huge order, right? And I it actually broke me. It actually put me out of business. I actually wow. wasn't able to do the order. It was too much. I tried to like build out the, you know, the factory. I tried to do all this stuff. And at the end of the day, like nothing worked. And I, and it, it, it actually put me out of business. So, so I understand that really well, things go wrong. You know, we, at one point, gosh, you know, a startup struggles, right? Weekend and week out. Some days you're, you're going to be a millionaire and the other days you're going to go totally out of business and, and lose everything. And you kind of ride this wave. And at one point we, we, we were in between factories. We moved to another factory because we thought someone else could do it better. And he actually ended up going bankrupt and left us like high and dry. And we had all these orders, man. We, 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 we built a little, a little small, little, you know, sofa making thing in, in my factory manager's backyard. We had trucks coming to his driveway <laughs> to pick up sofas, you know, to get them to our customers. Now, I mean, talk about being handmade and hand tailored. I mean, it couldn't get any more handmade and hand tailored. But, you know, it's those hurdles, you know, and thank God we didn't get an order for some crazy amount. We wouldn't have been able to to handle it. And, and you know, I, I, I know at that at that given time, we weren't spending any money on marketing because, we, we, we couldn't handle the orders. And, and what happens there when you have too many orders, you disappoint the customer, right? Yeah. And that, that to me is the holy grail. Do not disappoint the customer. Turn them into a brand advocate. I talk about it constantly because, man, if I ship you a sofa, your wife, right? She hates our fabric and, and it took 16 weeks and you hated that. The neighbor is going to come over and be like, oh, nice sofa. And you're going to be like, you know what? Yeah, it might look cool, but, you know, the fabric sucks and they took 16 weeks and I hate them. And they're yeah. going to instantly not buy. The network effect of that is huge, right? Like I, I bought the product. I'm, I'm happy with it. I tell everybody, you know, great things about it and more people buy over a long period of time, right? It's not necessarily immediate, but if I didn't buy, then that network effect doesn't happen. Yeah, right? especially with sofas because... There, there isn't a product in your home that when your neighbors come over, they touch and feel more than your sofa, right? They sit on your sofa. You all sit around. You watch a game. You, you hang out. You know, you hang out after dinner, whatever. They're actually sitting in that sofa. It's not like, you know, the cabinet on your back wall or, or the whatever. And so oftentimes this starts that conversation. And, and if, if we blow it along the way, your neighbor is going to know it. So when you were trying to launch this direct to consumer business, what, what was your biggest competition? Was it really just getting your name out there more than anything? Or what, what, what was it that, you know, worried you the most about competing with a hundred other people that make, you know, the same product? Yeah. I, you know, when we very first started, I had a brand called true modern and we sold a sofa through Wayfair. It was actually the company before they were Wayfair uh, called CSN stores and all modern. And, you know, so I had been kind of progressing in this in this world, 
um, and learning, right? The, the problems that we had to compete with was these online guys, like the Wayfarers, right? How do we compete with a product, say, coming out of China? You know, how do we, how do we compete in a, in a world against, you know, at the time it was more like Crate and Barrel and Pottery Barn. You know, how do, we, how do we go up against those guys? And then, oh, yeah, on top of that, we have to teach the customer to buy this thing without sitting on it, without being crate and barrel or pottery barn and all that. And, and I, so the biggest hurdle was, was that right. And, and, and that started to change. And I think when we started our, our business model was going after millennials, right? Because millennials would buy, you know, a product, uh, you know, online site unseen because they were, they were familiar with, Oh, we're not going to steal your credit card and run. I mean, yeah. do you know how many times I've spoken to an older, an older couple or something like that? And they actually asked me like, well, what do you do with my credit card? You know, I don't know if I want to give you my credit card information because, you know, you, you might take it and, you know, buy a bunch of beer or something, you know? And so, you know, that, that probably was the biggest hurdle. Yeah. And you, so you think there's a, a generational change there that is, is key to this success? Yes, hundred percent. However, it's transitioned. And what it's allowed me to do is I no longer have to sell a product that is a millennial priced product, right? I, I, I don't sell to many millennials these days because, because my sofas are, are of the higher end. I'm more of a luxury brand than I was when I started. And so now, you know, it's, it's become this thing like, oh, okay, I can buy a, you know, whatever it is online. I could buy a refrigerator online or I could buy a nice mm-hmm. sofa online. I'm willing to take the to risk. And, you know, I credit a lot of that to, to, you know, some brands around us that have, you know, we weren't the first to do the hundred day, you know, policy, right. We adapted to that because we thought they were crazy and we watched them very closely. Uh, and, and nowadays, you know, we find that it works. If you can stand behind your product, you really have to believe in your product though. Well, and you're, you also get the ride, the wave of just e-commerce in general, right? Like people buying shoes online or anything yeah. on Amazon or clothes or all that stuff. And, and people, having good experiences with those and you know they they carry that around with them like hey i bought a lot of stuff online and it's worked out let's try buying this online right yeah and the price point keeps going up and now look you can buy you know a tesla online you know you don't have to Mm -hmm. you know there's plenty of cars you can buy online and and that sort of thing you would have never have thought of that you know back in the day i think you know i think we should all you know kind of give a little love bow down a bit to um to zappos you know zappos with their shoes changed, changed things, mm-hmm. right? They were the, one of the first people to, to deliver, um, shoes, what, like five pairs or whatever, and just send them back, you know, and that started to kind of change people's mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, no questions asked kind of thing. And, and that's kind of, was kind of the gold standard for sure. At that point in time, you mentioned cars. I've probably ordered 10 cars. I've probably purchased 10 cars over the last 10, 15 years. They didn't test drive any of them. I yeah. just like bought it had it shipped in or whatever, just sight unseen. No, I don't need to test drive it. Whatever. Crazy. I, <laughs> I don't think that's so crazy. I'm kind of with you on that. I'm kind of like, I like the car. I've done my research on it. I've looked at it. it you know, can't have that many blind spots, you know, like whatever. Um, I've never been stung on that. And, and, and I think that goes back to, you know, better marketing, better you know, better things online. You can zoom in, you can look in the interior, you can spin the thing around, you can see it in different colors. You know, I, there's a lot that's happened in technology to kind of push us along. I, 
you know, but to that same extent, I actually push back on some of that. You know, we, I like the tactile stuff. Like you, you don't see those, those, uh, AR type things happening on our site, right? Where you can click on it and look at it on your phone and an iPad in, in your, in your home. It never looks good. Right. So, so for me, it's like, if it doesn't totally work, it kind of sells a shitty experience. Right. So, you know, for instance, if you, if you go to our site, you can hit the, the print button on, and we'll send you a full page giant piece of paper that you lay out on the floor of whatever custom size sofa you chose, right? And you can lay down in it. Do I fit between the arms? Can I take a nap in it? Can I, is it going to fit my room with my coffee table and side table and all that? And that's a, that's a, that's just a little trick that I like to use. It's tactile, right? It, it kind of goes back to the old school days. Here's a fabric swatch that's tactile. Here's this giant piece of paper that's tactile. And you can start to really get an understanding of, of the feel for it. And, and I think at the end of the day, that, that shows that we're willing to go the extra mile uh, and our customers are willing to buy from us. Well, and I think even if people don't use it, the fact that you offer it helps build additional trust, right? Like I've, I've seen similar things like ordering light fixtures online where they give you like some kind of cutout of like how big the light fixture is. Yeah. So you can like do the same sort of thing. I've never used that, but just the fact that they offer it, I always thought was super cool. It's like, wow, these guys are awesome. This is cool. Like it just See? creates that trust, right? See, that's, I mean, people don't realize that we talk, go back to that funnel, right? I mean, we do that sort of thing. I'm trying to signal to you. I think people people miss that oftentimes, right? In, in in online sales, they're not signaling to the customers. They're either screaming it, right? Like, you know, number one selling, best selling, blah, 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 right? But people aren't reading that, right? They're not sending these signals to the customer to say that it's okay. And it's that nuance of not being a car salesman, but still sending these signals. Mm-hmm. It works. Yeah, it's it's uh, e-commerce and and continue to see more and more things being purchased in e-commerce, right? And it's just refining the funnel, as you said earlier, like all the little tricks, all the little things you got to do that give, you know, ultimately it's about trust. Like as a buyer, it's like, how do I trust these people have a good product? I'm actually going to get it. I'm going to like it. If there's a problem, they'll take care of it. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, create trust in all of those scenarios to me? Totally. Well, once again, a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Canva. With Canva, you can work together from wherever. Get on the same page as your team with seamless, real-time collaboration. What will you design today? Explore and start designing for free at Canva.com. You ever use Canva? It makes you me know, feel it's like funny I'm you a... Say that. It's funny you say that, right? Because I wasn't, you know, look, I, I, I wanted to say, man, we use Canva all the time. We actually love Canva. And that's like no joke, but I didn't know if I should say that or not. Like, oh, is that is that bad no, podcast? Canva is awesome. Is it bad podcast etiquette to actually say like, oh man, we totally use. But the first thing I'm going to do when I get off this this podcast, I'm going to call the person who uses Canva and be like, you'll never guess who the sponsor yeah. was. We, we love Canva. It's it's oh, an amazing I'm platform. Sure. I'm sure Canva would love to hear that you designed every one of your sofas while <laughs> while using Canva. <laughs> yeah, a lot of our a lot of our marketing material is used is made with Canva. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. yeah, I always joke with my my business partner in, in full scale, Matt DeCourcy, that he's the best graphic graphic artist we have, thanks to Camp. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, and, and on top of that, your wife is the best like invitation maker. Yeah. And, you know, and you're like, Oh yeah, you need a quick little business card here. Let me hook you up with the most cool and you know, relevant fonts and all that. So uh not to be a Canva commercial on top of a Canva commercial, but I freaking love Canva. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a slick tool for sure. 
Well, I really appreciate your time today. Um, any final thoughts for our, for our listeners as we close this out today? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think if, if I were to just give a, a, just a hair of advice, uh, there's two things I think in raising capital, you know, um, you know, ask for, um, you know, ask for advice, you know, get money, ask for money, get advice. You know, that's something that, that just is a constant thing, you know, and, and it really worked for me. And the other thing I think is, is being an entrepreneur is such a long haul. You know, I, I'm not a believer that the guy who outworks everybody is the winner, right? Uh, I'm a believer that the guy who can, who can play the long ball is the winner, right? And, and in order to play the long ball, you gotta, you gotta ride the ups and downs. And if you ride them too high, like in the same day, you're like, Oh, I'm cashing out. I'm a bazillionaire. And then, and then like four hours later, like I'm going out of business bankrupt and, and the emotional wear and tear of that on you and then on your family and then the people around you is too much. So if you can ride that wave a little bit more in the center and not let those highs become too high or lows become too low, you can actually play the long ball game. And it's the long ball game that, that wins more often than not not these little quick success stories that we read about in the news that are few and far between. What do you mean? You weren't an overnight success? <laughs> no, hell no. 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 I mean, look, I I am I I was a success pretty quickly and you know, that's what brings me here to talk about it, right? But it certainly wasn't overnight. I've been building furniture all my life, right? Almost 30 years of 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 furniture, you know, and and um, so, no, I wasn't an overnight success. And, and boy, I've been down on the mat many, many times and, and had to find a way to get back up. Yeah, I think your advice is great about the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. And, and you definitely got to be, be able to handle the stress of the highs and the lows. And um, I've, I've always been able to do that. Like, I always tell people, like, I could work in an emergency room. Like, I would be perfectly cool. Like, missing limbs this person's dying yeah. i can deal with all of it it's fine just bring them in and yeah, but to some degree you have to be able to deal to deal with all of it i i agree and but not only that you have to be able to go home in a reasonable way right yeah. you can't you can't bring that stuff home right you can't you know you know hey wife and family like we're gonna be millionaires today and then literally later you're like I, we're bankrupt you know because that doesn't work for them right. because they're or not your seeing the picture that you're seeing right and so and so if if you if you bring too much of that one way or another it can be really really challenging on them it's 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 rough it could be really rough well that's great advice and um really appreciate your time today again our, our guest today was edgar blazona with benchmade modern and uh, I think it's cool. I'm American leather customer. Maybe I'll be a customer of yours too. I, I was seriously looking at buying a sofa today, so I'm gonna check out the website. Well, we will hook you up, and uh, and and just know that you'll get a really really nice piece of furniture, uh, you know, made by some guys on his bench. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.